Our sermon passage for today comes from 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So now, Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. We come into your presence this morning believing that because of Jesus, you welcome us. Because of Jesus, his life, His death, His resurrection. You hear us. Because of Jesus, You're eager to answer us as we cry out to You. Because of Jesus, You love us. Because of Jesus, Your mercy and Your grace are extended to us. Because of Jesus, You have saved us. Because of Jesus, you have sent your spirit to dwell within us. Because of Jesus, your spirit dwells in this room. Because of Jesus, you have a vision for us to be with you for all of eternity. Because of Jesus, you have a vision for our lives here and now to be transformed by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. Because of Jesus... You will not leave us in our sin. Because of Jesus, you are eager to save. Because of Jesus, you are building your kingdom. And because of Jesus, we are crying out now. And we are saying, Father, meet us here today. Speak truth into us. Where needed, save us and deliver us. Where needed, bring us to brokenness and to repentance. Where needed, restore our hope and our faith and our confidence in you. Where needed, we ask you to heal. Lord, we are so eager for you to work that we cry out to you now. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room today would leave here captivated with you, with your saving grace, with your recorded word and with hope. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, which is what Katie just read for us. 
our, our mode of preaching here at Redeemers to work through books of the Bible. And so today we're actually looking at a very common, very popular, very well-known piece of the Scripture. And I would ask you to listen attentively as if you've not heard ten sermons and nine Sunday school lessons on this passage before. But listen attentively for the Spirit to speak to you. Also, I want to be really clear that this morning, I'm not preaching for your amens. Now, in general, I'm a big fan of amens, and I take them in freedom. Thank you. But I'm not preaching for your amens as much as I'm preaching for your heart. And I'm preaching for your life. And I'm preaching for how you orient your days and your nights. And then if you feel compelled to say amen, feel free to do so. But when pastors get up and talk about the Bible and God's word and unchanging truth, Christians in the South love to shout amen. And then we go home and forget what we heard. And this day, I'm interested in you going home, being changed, and being committed to know God as He's revealed Himself in His Word. So this morning, we're going to talk about the relationship between Christians and the Bible. We're going to talk about the relationship between Christians and the Bible. We talk about the Bible a lot. We believe the Bible. The Bible is true. We might even say things like the Bible is absolute truth. We ask you to read the Scripture. We preach through the Scripture. If your child's in Sunday school, they might even be asked to check a box that says, I read the Bible every day this week. Our generation's like downgrading that to like five days a week is enough. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But perhaps you wonder, why are Christians so fixated on the Bible? What's the basis of this relationship between Christianity and the Bible? And the answer that we're given in this passage, the answer that I would call on you to believe, and if you don't really want to listen to me for the next 30 minutes or so, like this is like Cliff's note right here, okay? Cliff's notes right here. That our faith is established for us in the Bible. Not because we worship the Bible, not because the Bible saves us, but in the Bible we find Jesus. He's revealed to us there. And in the Bible, we are shown how to live for the glory of Jesus. And so to know God, and to know His salvation, and to live for His glory requires that we know what He says in the Scripture. That's what this passage tells us this morning. And that's what I want you to see this morning. So we're kind of in mid-thought for Paul. Verse 14 begins, but as for you. In the mid-thought for Paul... Um, By the way, this is a man named Paul writing to a man named Timothy who is pastoring a church in a town called Ephesus. So really you have a pastor writing to a pastor about pastoring a church. So Paul's writing to Timothy about how to lean into the good examples of faith in Christ and lean into the good examples of faith in Christ who have pointed him to the Word of God. Paul's writing this to Timothy as he's navigating hardship. And while you may not be a pastor, 
what you need to hear, what we all need to hear today, is this example that we lean into those who have pointed us to God in His Word. And and that is how we navigate hardship. That was kind of Paul's point in the previous verses that we looked at last week. And this week, we're being exhorted down this path. The only guide who is worthy of following is the guide who points you to God is revealed in His Word. What's being revealed to us is the only influence that should influence us are those who are pointing us to the ultimate truth of God in His Word. We need not be deceived, but we follow those who are following God as God has revealed Himself in His Word. This is what we're being called to today. So the first point, if you are one who desires to take notes, is the Word of God. In verses 14 and 15 and the beginning of 16, so 14, 15, and 16, they make this vital connection for us. And this is the connection. You'll see, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and then verse 15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And in verse 16, all Scripture. So what Paul is talking about, he calls the sacred writings and all Scripture. Now most likely, since when Paul says the sacred writings, he's speaking of that which Timothy has known since his childhood. Paul is talking about what we now know as the Old Testament what a Jewish person in that day would have known as the law of God. Um, Paul is speaking of the Old Testament as God's word. But he also then says all Scripture in verse 16. And what Paul is talking about here when he says all Scripture would be all of that Old Testament, but also amongst Paul and Peter and those who had been with Jesus, there was this understanding that God was going to speak through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to enable them to rightly record the the testimony of Jesus and the testimony of the building of the church, this thing we call the New Testament. And so when, when Paul speaks of all Scripture, he's speaking of the Old Testament and this understanding of that which is God's Word that would be Um, a testimony of how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So I don't think it's a leap for us at all to say that, that what Paul is calling the sacred writings and what Paul is calling all Scripture, we can also call the Bible. We can call this testimony of God that we have before us today. So Paul is talking about what we know as the Bible. At this point, it wasn't as fully formed as we have it now. It certainly wasn't bound and printed in one book as it is now. But this is what Paul is talking about. And then this is the connection. The scriptures and the sacred writings are what? Verse 16, breathed out by God. They're breathed out by God. And actually, what Paul is doing here is making up a word. Like the word breathed out by God in the original language is one word. And it's nowhere else in the Bible. It's nowhere else in ancient Greek. It's nowhere else in Greek of that era. Paul's basically saying, I need to communicate something, and there's no word in the language to communicate it, so I'm going to make a word up to communicate it. The Scripture is the breath of God. 
you're like, hold up, dude. It's like God blowing on me. Not exactly. Not exactly. But the breath of God means that the Scripture flows from God. And it means that it's unique to God. And it means that it's what God wanted it to be. So if you were unfortunate enough to hug me right now and I breathed on you, you would smell a little too much coffee, a little bit of trail mix, and some flonase. That's been my morning so far, okay? And I don't bet anyone else's breath in here would smell, that's unique, right? That's Jamie. And so what Paul is trying to say is the Scripture is God revealing truth. It's God revealing Himself, and it's unique, and it's trustworthy, and it's right because God spoke it. And this is one of the few places in the Scripture where we're told the Scripture is precisely God's Word. And this is an important passage for us to know, know where it is, write it down, believe it, and be able to talk about it when we defend the Scriptures. Why are Christians so obsessed with the Bible? Because God spoke so we can know Him. Why do pastors at the beginning of every January stand up and say, how are you going to read the Bible this year? Because God spoke so that we could know Him. And the Bible is the unique revelation of God unmatched anywhere. If you want to read up a little more on that, I would point you to Psalm 19. And here's what Psalm 19 says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, meaning creation tells that God exists. But then it shifts and it says, but the law of the Lord is better. The testimony of the Lord is more true. Right? Like what it says is, but we need God's revelation to know God. And we need God's revelation to know who we really are. Sometimes you find a quote that just says it so much better than you could say it, you just read it. So this quote comes from a, a scholar named Peter Williams. It's a beautiful testimony of what the Bible is. So he speaks of the Bible as we have it now. The Bible is not just one book, but a whole library of 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. These were written over a period of some 15 centuries by more than 40 authors, all of whom were different, including kings, philosophers, poets, farmers, statesmen, priests, prophets, fishermen, and scholars like Paul. With such a variety of authorship over such a long period of time, one might expect the result to be a book that was no more than a mixed bag of ideas and inconsistencies. Instead... The Bible has a wonderful unity from Genesis to Revelation as it unfolds the single theme of God's plan of redemption. And why does the Bible, written over 15 centuries by more than 40 authors, why does it have unity of thought and theme and truth? Because God spoke it. That's why. Because God was at work in every single author to ensure that His Word was rightly written 
and assembled and saved for us to hear it and know it and believe it. So let me, I want to do some application here before we move on. Perhaps you're here today going, that guy up there is crazy. I kind of am. But Jesus saved me, so that kind of balances everything out, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't, that guy's crazy. I don't know if God's real. I don't know if the Bible's true. Like, you people, like, you're just as weird as I thought you were when you started that sermon. I, I want to make this appeal. If, that's, if you're here today, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here. So glad that you're here. We're so glad that the snow brought you here today. I don't believe that arguments alone will convince you that the Bible's true. They're there. My encouragement to you would be take it up and start reading. If you're brand new to it, a great place to be, start would be the Gospel of Mark. Just go to the table of contents, turn to the book of Mark. It's the shortest story of who Jesus was and is in the Bible. You can have it read before I get home today. But I would just challenge you. Would you open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark and pray something like this? God, if you're there, I don't even know if you're real. And if this is your word, I don't even know if it is. Would you convince me of it as I read it? I believe that God works like that. Far more than any of my preaching or the other guys that get up here and preach better than I, more than any of us could ever do, God works through his word. He even says that it will never return void. And guys, if you have friends that are exploring the faith, love them, be their friend, be a good neighbor, invite them over for the Super Bowl, invite them to church. But by all means, don't fall into the trap of believing that by your winsomeness they will be saved. Do everything you can to get those dear people created in the image of God into the Word of God because the Word of God saves. Or God saves through His Word because the Word of God speaks God's truth. Because the Word of God, not our words, will not return void. Now Christians... I'm going to go from like, dude, this guy's on it, to like, oh no, he's in my life now. If the Bible is God's word, then that means the Bible gets the last word. If the Bible is God's word, then that means the Bible gets the last word. What that means is that when we're confronted with something in the scripture, we no longer have the right to say, yeah, but. Or yeah, but you don't understand. The Bible gets the last word. I'm a big believer in common grace. And that means that things outside of the Bible and outside of the church can be helpful to us. Anybody go see a doctor in the last year? You believe in common grace. I believe in common grace. But what we're saying is the Bible gets the last word to help us interpret common grace grace. So last night, my wife and I went on a date to a Mexican restaurant, her choice, and we sat across from one another and took personality tests. Very fun. Romance at its finest. <clears throat> Aren't you glad you didn't marry me? It was helpful. We learned a lot about each other. 
But you know what? That personality test doesn't get the last word. God's word does. And we have to take that personality test and what we learned about each other and say, now God, you transform this. This test helps me better understand you and helps you better understand me, but God, your word finishes this. I'm a big believer in counseling. I've been, some of you have been, and the rest of you need to go. Counseling is helpful because it helps us understand how we've been wounded and how we've been scarred. And sometimes it even gives us labels to explain why we are the way that we are. And that stuff is all helpful and good as long as God's word gets the last word. Because whatever label you pick up in counseling doesn't have to define who you are. Jesus gets to. If we believe that common grace is good, but God's word gets the last word, we don't have to fear science. We don't have to fear psychology. We don't have to fear the world. Because God's word will always win. And we can lean on that. So Christians, I just want to ask you, will you let God's word win in your life? Will you give it the last word in your workplace? Will you give it the last word in your relationships? Will you give it the last word in your parenting? Will you give God's word the last word in your brokenness? Will you give God's word the last word in your addiction? Will you give God's word the last word in everything? Because if it's true, that's the place that it must be. And if we're honest, there are little pockets of our lives where God's word is not receiving the last word, and that's what needs to change today. That's what needs to change today. I preach this as a very imperfect, selfish man who needs to be transformed more by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is there are places in my life where God's word is not getting the last word. And I'm praying that God would show me that today. And I'm praying that he would show you that today as well. So if God's word If the Bible is God's word, and God's word is to get the last word, then we must remember two things. The second point, the Bible is the saving word. The saving word. Now, before you jump out of your seat at me, technically, the Bible saves no one. Jesus does. But there's this weird dynamic in the scripture where Jesus is called the word of God, and the Bible is called the word of God, and the words of the prophets are called the word of God. And I think what that means is the word of God is how we know God, and it's how we know His saving Son, and we know Christ through the Bible. Anybody here in Galilee 2,000 years ago? Anybody? 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 So we need someone to tell us. And the way that's told to us is through the word. The way we know that we're made in the image of God is through the Word. The way we know that we are sinners who need a Savior is through the Word of God. The way we know that Jesus is our only Savior and our only hope is through the Word of God. So we need to run to the Word of God to encounter the saving power of God. So so if you're here today, hold on, before I do that, J.I. Packer, one of my favorite authors, said it like this. Holy Scripture should be thought of as God preaching. God preaching to me every time I read or hear any part of it. God the Father preaching God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Now, does that sound like stale, empty homework? No. 
One reason we like preachers and we download our favorites and we listen to them on sermonaudio.com is because they speak in power and winsomely and come, right? We should read the Bible just like that. It's God saying, I'm real. My son is real. My son died for you. Believe. Believe that Jesus is enough for you. It's God preaching to us over and over and over again. So that means that ultimately what our friends who are far from God need is to meet Jesus in the scripture. But it also means this, that what we need more than anything is every day to open the scripture and be reminded that we stand before God as sinful people with a great Savior. The path forward in Christianity is always through the gospel. It's always through the reality that we are gratefully sinful. Jesus is a far greater Savior, and we stand before him accepted, loved, and forgiven, and adopted forever. Our lives move forward when we see Christ in the Scriptures. So, if you need help seeing the saving grace of God in the Scriptures, take one of those cards that Bill Seaver lied, Bill Seaver lied to you earlier. He told you that was for visitors. I'm now telling you it's for everybody. Take one of those yellow cards underneath the front, put your name on it, give us one way to contact you, and write this. I need help reading the Bible. Just write that. I need help reading the Bible. You can use the whole back really big. I, like, I promise you that I will respond to you this week and I will pair you up with somebody who will help you see Jesus in the scriptures on a routine basis. We run to the Bible as a word that shows us the Savior. Third point. We run to the scripture as their preparing word. Now, I've never heard the Bible called that. I'm kind of making it up as a way to summarize what Paul is saying and as a way to get your attention, like, dude, what you talking about? And so we're calling it the preparing word. And this is the reality, that the Bible not only shows us Jesus, but that the Bible tangibly, really, and helpfully helps us live for God's glory. So Paul says in verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable. Now that's a promise. That's a promise. You, you, you put money every month in a 401k hoping that it will be profitable. You save money however you save it. Gold, silver, stocks, bonds, digging a hole in the ground. However you do that, you do it hoping that it will be profitable. But what Paul is here is he's making a promise that God's word is always fruit bearing. It's always profitable. And what it's profitable to do is to equip Christians to glorify God. The word of God is profitable to equip Christians to glorify God. So he says it's profitable for teaching. And teaching, that literally means teaching. It means to, to reveal God and his character and who he is and who we are. For reproof, that means to show us where in our lives we are not glorifying God. For correction, that is to show us in our lives how to glorify God. And for training in righteousness. Righteousness here meaning right living. And training in right living would mean showing us the path to walk down where our lives could glorify God most. What Paul is saying is the Bible bears the fruit of teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, and training us. This is what the Bible does. 
So much so that verse 16 says that we as Christians may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what does this mean? What does this mean? First of all, Paul is not just saying that the Bible is profitable to teach, reprove, correct, and train non-Christians. He's saying that the Bible is, is profitable to teach, reprove, correct, and train everyone. So what that means is we are imperfect, sinful people who need to be taught by God. And the biggest barrier for some of us in this conversation is to recognize that we're imperfect, that we are fallible, that we, even though we're in Christ, are still broken, and that we need help. Paul would only say that we need teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness if we actually need those things. So some of you this morning just need to write in your notes, I am a needy, imperfect sinner. I need God's word. Second, these, Paul's exhortation that the word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training righteousness is a promise that it bears fruit. So some of us, we, we know too intimately how in perfect we are, and we need to believe that God's Spirit changes who we are. Often the Gospels preach like this. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Believe and you'll be saved. And then God's kind of just going to leave you here to kind of languish and go to church and kind of be moral and eagerly wait the day till He comes back while everything gets worse in the world. That's often how we believe the Gospel. But that's not the Gospel at all. The gospel is you are a sinner, you need a savior, Jesus is the savior, Jesus saves, and when he saves, he's committed to changing who you are beginning right now, right now. So the besetting sin in my life is anger. It shows up all the time, and it grieves me, and it breaks me, and I want to be changed. But often we think of these things like, hey, Jesus saved me. And I struggle, and when I struggle, I'm glad Jesus died for me, but I'm just going to keep struggling. Now, there is some truth in that. We're going to keep struggling. But the other reality is Jesus came to transform our struggling. We can make progress. We can be changed. Write down, God has a vision for me to be equipped for every good work, including in the face of my besetting sins. We have to believe that. Often our theology is just this worm theology of, I'm terrible, Jesus died for me, I deserve nothing, but thank God Jesus died for me. I deserve nothing, but thank God Jesus died for me. I deserve nothing, but thank God Jesus died for me. I deserve nothing. Dude, when are you coming back? But thank God Jesus died for me. I des-, right? like, that, that's often the sum total of our discipleship. Our discipleship begins there, right? Because we're never anything before God except sinners who need a Savior. And we never move into anything without moving through the step of, thank the Lord that Jesus died for me. But the God who died for me sent his spirit to dwell within me so that I can be transformed for his glory in this world. So much so that he says the scripture will make us complete and equipped for every good work. 
Like, I want you to believe that God wants you to believe that you're equipped by the Spirit and through the Word to bear much fruit. I want you to believe that you don't have to be today what you were a year ago. I want you to believe that you don't have to be what you were 10 years ago. I want you to believe that if God has saved you from the worst addiction under the sun, that he saved you not just so you could get out of hell, but so you could glorify him now and forever. I want you to believe that. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about, equipped for every good work. So some of us need to be convinced that when we read the scripture, God is saying, I desire you to walk down this path of righteousness for my name's sake. And that with my spirit, you are able by faith to walk down this path of righteousness for my that's what I want some of us, some of us need to believe that. We can be changed by the Spirit. I got way away from my notes. I'm going to need a second. Okay. So because this passage is true, some of us need to believe that we're imperfect and sinful and need, to be, need God's truth to change us. Others of us just need to believe that God's truth actually will change us and live accordingly and pray accordingly now i want to make a connection here i said earlier that often we don't read the bible as it was intended to be read and so i want to make a bit of application to our congregation there are some congregations where if I were preaching this passage, I would have spent 20 minutes talking about the word teaching and talking about how we need truth and we need to know God through his word and we need to have good theology and we need to know who God is and who God is not and we need to know all the things that he's revealed from himself. Basically, I would be saying we need theology. I believe we need theology. A.W. Tozer said, the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. But theology, for the sake of head knowledge, is missing the point of the Bible. Theology, for the sake of passing an exam, of knowing the most truth so that you can win the most arguments, is missing the point of the Bible. Anybody besides me have the old Bible tic-tac-toe game? It was pink, King James only? Anybody besides me? All right, just my family? Okay, that's funny. I grew up in a non-Christian family, and I'm the only person with the King James only Bible tic-tac-toe game. Man. Y'all were missing out on guilt as children, man. But if the purpose of your Bible reading is to win the tic-tac-toe game that you don't even know exists, we've missed the point. The purpose of knowing God is to believe in God and to trust God and to live lives reflecting of his power in our lives. That's why he says the Bible is there for teaching, but also to reprove and correct and to train in righteousness. The vision that God gives of himself is the God who saves and transforms and delivers. So let's not be found sitting in holy huddles, filling our heads with 
facts. But let's be found sitting in circles, filling our heads with the truth of who God is so that our hearts are warmed by His gospel and we're ready to go out and speak of His greatness and live for His glory. That's the vision Paul has in mind. And that's what it means to be complete. I don't care how you would do on a systematic theology 101 exam. I really don't. I care how you live for the glory of God. And we're back. So here's my question for you as we conclude. And worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. How will you consume the word of God this year? Let me be really clear. I'm so unsettled on a particular way for you to consume the word of God. I just want you to consume it. I'm not even going to give any methods. Like there are tons of methods floating around of how to consume the word of God this year. Will you consume the word of God this year so much that your life is saturated by the word of God and your life is changed by God through his word? You can read the whole Bible. You can read a third of the Bible. You can read one book of the Bible or take Psalm 19 and meditate on it all year. I don't care. I want you to be transformed by God through his word. So my question for you is, how will you consume the word of God this year? And will you start praying for God to speak to you, to show you his son, and to change you through his word? So I want you to leave with this word in your mind. Probably my favorite verse of the scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So what we're being told is there are certain things that God has chosen not to reveal for us. We can think deeply about them. We can question them. We can get together with our tweed jackets and our pipes and talk about them all day long. But some things God just hasn't revealed. But the things that are revealed, so he has revealed some things, the word, the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. Do you hear that? The things that are revealed are to be known in such a way that they belong to us forever so that we may live lives of faith that glorify God. So I want you to leave here today believing Deuteronomy 29, 29 is something that the Lord would want from you. And I want you to pray it for yourself. So Father, we ask now that you would speak your word to us in a way that we are transformed and changed forever.